0: Welcome to the Kenosha City Church Podcast. Are you in crazy love or are you going crazy? In this message, Pastor Andy talks about Solomon's advice on intimacy and how it can protect your intimate life. Enjoy the message. So uh, I was in an airport a couple years ago. I was actually on a layover in Las Vegas. I was coming from uh, San Diego. I was speaking uh, to some pastors at a church called the Rock Church. Um, and I was on a layover in uh, whatever the airport's called in Las Vegas. And when you're in airports, it's really, really easy to kind of just people watch and sometimes overhear things. Like, I know you're not supposed to do that, right? But it's you're you're such in close corridors, right? You just can't help but hear things. And so I was in uh, just listening to people, and this one guy, he said this. He goes, "So this weekend I could have uh, been unfaithful to my wife." I thought, "Oh, this is." And he said it such it's such with a casual manner. It was heartbreaking. It was jarring. I thought, oh man, am I? Uh, oh, should I pray for him? What should I do? And he, and he went on to tell his story. He's like, I was walking down Las Vegas Boulevard down the strip, and this beautiful woman uh, approached me, and and we began to talk. We said hello, and she said my name, and we began to just one thing led to another, where we're just kind of sharing our life story, and and it just it, there's just chemistry, and and then she asked me if we wanted to continue this conversation in her hotel, at the Cosmopolitan, one of one of the most. Uh, uh, expensive hotels in Las Vegas, and and he said, yeah, yeah, I, I, yeah, let's let's continue this, and and she goes, okay, it's gonna cost you $100, and so he reached for his wallet, not even thinking, and he opened it up, and all he had was a 50, and he pulled out the 50, and he said, well, well will this do, and she said, no, I'm sorry, and he put it back, and reality kind of sunk in with him, and now he's in the airport telling his friends this, he's like, yeah, I just, that's how close I I came. And his friends kind of pat him on the back and they said, yeah, but you know the old saying, what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas, right? My heart just sunk. Because these look like regular, ordinary people you'd cross by the street. These aren't people that are like, oh yeah, yeah, he's an adulterer, right? No, but somehow we buy into this notion that if we do something far away from home or it's a special holiday that we can just let it all go with no consequence. But there is consequence. And I think that story underlined this is that We are lost with what love means. We don't know what love means. And when I say we, I mean society. In fact, the top phrase searched on Google, not the top words, but the top phrase searched on Google, one of the top ones is the phrase, What is love? Baby, don't hurt me no more. All right, so what is love? Right? Yeah. What is love? Now, if that's a top search, then people are kind of searching for what, is, what does love mean? Well, another recent survey asked people, what is an important ingredient in a lasting relationship? And you know what the respondent said, 90% of them? Love. Now, that's a conundrum. If people say love is a necessary and important ingredient to a healthy, lasting relationship, yet most people are Googling what is love. We have a problem, right? <laughs> we have a problem. In fact, many books are on shelves, whether it be your truck stop or your Christian bookstore, on trying to help you, what is love? In fact, Les and Leslie Parrott, they write the book, Saving Your Marriage Before It Starts. It's actually required reading for anybody who goes to premarital counseling. Here's yeah. the thing, I take them to this book and this is what they say, what is love? And they said, love, the meaning of love is elusive. Love can encompass anger. Uh, love can encompass uh, uh, happy moments. It, it can could, it could encompass anything. Boredom, stability, change, freedom, restriction. You see, I think part of the problem with why we don't know what love is is because in the English, we only have one really meaning for love. It's love. I went to Giordano's, okay? I saw this commercial on Facebook, and I bit, all right? I'm like, honey, do you want to go to Giordano's tonight? She goes, well, sure. I mean, I don't have to cook, right? I'm like, yes. Let's take the kids. Let's go to Giordano's. It was like a last-minute thing. We go to Giordano's, and I eat the pizza that I love with the wife that I love, with the kids that I love. I'm just loving life, but here's the thing. You can apply love to many other things. Maybe it's your pet. Okay, maybe it's it's your house. Maybe it's your job. You can fill in the blank. Love can go about anything, and even things that are illicit. Maybe even things that we would call habits or addictions, you might say you love them. You see, we've cheapened the word love because English doesn't really handle the word love very well. Well, in the original language in the New Testament, the New Testament Bible um, is written in uh, gr- uh, Greek. In fact, the first part of the Bible, uh, he, uh, the Old Testament is written in Hebrew. Uh, the New Testament is written in Greek. There's some Aramaic too in there, but uh, that's in the Old Testament. So, Greek, New Testament, all right? So, it's written in Greek, and it's Greek to you. That's why we don't speak it. That's why uh, uh, we speak in English, right? But here's the thing love has so many more meanings in the Greek language. Uh, in fact, uh, we have the love that God shows us. That's agape love. Uh, this is the love that God has for his people and that we are to reflect into others. Uh, we are to show this type of love. It's sacrificial, selfless love that originates from God. We also have the phila love, which is from Philadelphia. That's, that's a brother, the city of brotherly love. This is a a friendship love. There is something different than loving God than loving your friend, right? Okay? Then we have storge, uh storge is a love for your offspring, okay? So you love your parents, you love your kids. Hopefully you don't love your kids and uh, your parents on the same level as you would your spouse. And when people do love their kids on the same level as your spouse, there's usually marital problems, right? Okay, uh, your kids, they will move out. They will start their own families. You're going to be with your spouse till death do your part, right? So, but there's storge love, and then there's eros love, and this is a love that society likes to put in movies and likes to talk about all the time. In fact, this is the lens of which we, in society, typically look at everything that we call love. So eros is a sexual passion. It's where we get the word erotic. Uh, it's a love that is actually lust, um, and it actually hurts our agape, philia, or even storge understandings of love. When we sexualize everything, we lose the meaning of other loves that we are to have because we look at it only through the lens of eros. And so uh, it's had great harm to how we understand and how we relate to one another. So where are you at this morning? Where are you at in your relationships? If you're single, where are you at in your friendships? How are you preparing for your future marriage? If you're going to be married, if you uh, are are single again, how are you preparing your heart in this transition? And if you're married, how are you preparing to take your marriage where God wants it? So where is your path leading? It's a question I'm going to ask the, the entirety of our time is, where is your path, the path that you're on, where is it leading? The key to intimacy for marriage or your future marriage is realizing the path you're on now and the traps, and anything else that can entrap you uh, on the on the way uh, that will lie ahead on that road. So whether you're single, married, or somewhere in between, let's get going. Let's get ready. Let's dive into the scriptures. We're gonna be in Proverbs chapter five, verse one. Proverbs chapter five, verse one. As we take a look of the power of intimacy, my son, be attentive to my wisdom. Incline your ear to my understanding, that you may keep discretion, and your lips may guard your knowledge, for the lips of the forbidden woman drip honey. And her speech, her speech is smoother than oil. But in the end, she is like bitter as wormwood. Sharp as a two-edged sword, her feet go down to the death. Her steps follow the path to Sheol. She does not ponder the path of life. Her ways wander. She does not know it. So we have King Solomon, the king of Israel, richest king of Israel, telling his son, you need to pay attention. Pay attention to the road that you are on, because there are going to be roadblocks ahead. There are going to be traps ahead that get you off course. Now, something you need to know about Solomon, Uh, earlier in his life, God appeared to him in a dream and said, hey, what do you want? Could you imagine if God just appeared to you in a dream saying, hey, what what would you like, right? How many of us would bomb that one, okay? We'd ask for something that we want, like now, I just want a Giordano's pizza, God, okay? You know, like how many of us would bomb that in that moment? But Solomon said, I want wisdom. I want wisdom. That pleased God. And we see the effects of this wisdom. We see the overflow of the wisdom that God gave uh, Solomon in the books of Psalms, and the book of Proverbs. Uh, we see Solomon's first love in the book of Song of Solomon. But we also see that Solomon did not put into action all the wisdom that he had. In fact, it's one thing, and I think it's natural for us, but we just want to know about things of God. We want to know about theology or the doctrines of God. But yet, when it doesn't go into action, it begins to rot. It becomes, it becomes to be dangerous because we know these things, yet we don't do them. And the key, the love language to God's heart is obedience to what we know, and so, and what God is calling us. And so what happened was is that Solomon did not heed the advice he's going to give his son here. Solomon jumped into the deep end, into the wrong pool after this message that we're about, read, we're about to read today. See, Solomon didn't stay with his wife. He thought it'd be awesome to have multiple wives and have lovers on the side. In fact, the Bible calls those lovers uh, concubines. And so he had these concubines, he had these wives, and if you put them together, he had 1,000 love interests. A thousand. Let that sink in for a moment, all right? Like if you have to schedule a date, you might have a date, what, every three years? Okay, so here's the thing. Uh, He's crazy, all right? A thousand wives and concubines, and the thing is, is that in a society where they tell you to do what you want to do, and there's, there's really nothing wrong with what you choose to love or how you love, I'm going to tell you, you can see the effects of his decisions in the book of Ecclesiastes. It's one of the final books that Solomon wrote, and he, this is what he said. He had everything under the sun, everything. And his conclusion of this world was vanity of vanities, worthless, worthless. Everything is worthless and fleeting under the sun. Nothing is new. And he began to read this wisdom through the prism of depression because this world didn't satisfy. Eventually, at the end of the book, he said the chief end of man is to obey God. He got it right at the end, but he gave us a biography of just a broken, messed up mind that gave himself to anything that he wanted. Our decisions have consequences. The path that we go on, it's going to lead somewhere. Where, Where is your path leading? So just before he jumped off in the deep end of the wrong pool... He instructed his sons, perhaps the very temptations that would take him down later. He says this, be attentive, be mindful, because temptation is coming your way. Be attentive, be mindful, because temptation is coming your way. Sometimes temptation will seek you out. Sometimes you seek temptation out in moments of weakness. And the temptation is this, specifically this morning, unfaithfulness as personified by a forbidden woman. A forbidden woman or man uh, could be a prostitute, but in general, the forbidden woman or man is anyone who is not your spouse, in which you engage in physical intimacy that is reserved only in the covenant of marriage. So if you're single, you may be dating the most awesome person of your life. Your, Your boyfriend or girlfriend may do no wrong. They're exciting. They're funny. They are godly. But if you're still emotionally or physically uh, uniting with them before marriage. You're breaking boundaries that should not be crossed until marriage. Now, I want to say this. I want to pause here. I understand in a room full of this size that a lot of us are bringing hurts, or maybe we're, we're way deep into something we shouldn't be. And I want you to know that nobody's going to stand before God saying, I'm pure. We'll get to that in a moment. But I do not want you to leave this place, hang your head and like, man, I have no hope. I want to let you know Jesus Christ came to give you hope. He came to wash you anew. He came to make sure that the path that you're on is a destination that he is making you for. And that is one for not harm. That is one for good. That is one to make most of him. It's one where you enjoy awesome relationships. Where's your path leading? Marriages are broken today because the purity of the bond of intimacy is being compromised. And the passion and strength of love may be fading in some of these relationships, but I want you to know that every marriage, so if you're not married yet, listen up. If you're married and you're like, why is things just stuck? I want you to know that marriages have phases, predictable phases. Crazy love, going crazy, and unconditional crazy love. Now when Alice and I were first dating again uh, it's we were in love and I'm not and listen we're in love now like, like, it, like it's, it's a deeper love, but it was like this love of like oh I'm in love and I'm in love and I just don't care who cares if we have any money? who cares what happens because I have you and you have me and it's like every song that we hear right like oh, we're living the song, we're living the dream and I remember I really put a test to that dream uh, I was a, I, I was a window washer to get me through grad school get me through seminary uh, and I got a call one summer uh, to do a pastoral intern In central Iowa. And I realized if I took this pastoral internship in central Iowa, I'd have to give up my window washing job, which was getting me through seminary. So I couldn't do that because, in long range, I needed to get through seminary, right? And so I turned down the pastor. And the pastor said something that, oh, when you hear this, you know, oh man, what if God's going to get me? I know this. He says, Andy, I'm not going to accept your answer. Really? Can you do that? He's like, yes, because I want you to pray. For one week and ask God if he, you should tell me no. Okay, and you know, to be honest, when I hung up that phone, I was like, I know what the answer is going to be. But I prayed. And as I was praying, I heard God speak, not audibly, but I heard him speak. You know, when you're praying with him and, and God just begins to uh, just align things from his word and he begins to just check out your heart and he begins to just show you you can do this. As I was praying, I was convinced I'm not going to give up my window washing job, but I'm also to tell. Joel, who is my mentor, turns out to be my mentor later on, that, yes, I'm going to take the job. How am I going to do that? That means I'm going to commute from Thursday to Saturday night, six hours one way and six hours back. I literally, I think I put close to 20,000 miles in my car that, that year, cumulatively. I drove a lot. I felt like a truck driver. I would call an AM radio stations just to stay awake on subjects I didn't care about, okay? And Andy's back on the phone. Yep, I'm on I-88. So... <laughs> but I remember one time I was here on a weekend and I got done washing windows and different bills hit and I had $16 in my bank account and I realized I don't have enough money to get home. And so what did I do? Well, first off, I, listen, I want you to know this right now. If your bank account's looking like that, I understand in that moment. It, it's, a, it's, it's a humbling moment. You ask for help. And when I did, I realized, well, I just got done with one week of windows. I'll just wash next week's windows. So I washed the next week's windows. I didn't watch my weeklies. They'd think I'd be crazy, but I was. I watched my next week's windows, had enough money to get back, and I told Alison, I'm like, Allison, I only had $16 in my bank account. She's like, oh, I love you. I was like, I love you too, all right? That's crazy love, like, in the sense that $16, if you woke up right now and you're married and you have three kids and you have $16, that'd be a 911 emergency, not something to where you just look at each other with dove eyes, right? So the thing is, crazy love, it happens in your dating relationship. It usually goes through maybe your first and second year of marriage, unless Listen, if you're dating and the crazy love's over, I'm going to tell you this right now. There may be hope, and there might not be. I don't know. But but anyway, crazy love ends, and you go into going crazy. Some call this the I don't like you phase of marriage. This is the portion of marriage where all your hopes and dreams are dashed because you realize you married somebody who wasn't perfect. You realize that the things that you're saying to each other, that you're going to let each other down. So it could be the way that you want to raise kids or your finances or your priorities or how you relate to God. And I'll I'll bring it back because I've seen more fights over this, the way that you squeeze that toothpaste out of that tube, right? You realize they are not the perfect one that I thought I married. I want you to know that you have married two independent people are being brought together as one. And unless God is leading that relationship, you're going to continue to be two independent people. That following is unconditional crazy love. This is a phase at the mountaintop for each couple uh, that has not reached until maybe perhaps decades, perhaps decades after you're married. So I want you to know this: if you are, uh, if if you are married and you're, you know, it's been some rough patches. Here's what I want you to know: if you haven't been married uh, for 20 years yet. Um, just know that you're probably in the going crazy phase. Uh, By the way, the unconditional crazy love could happen earlier, but usually you just kind of come in and out of it. But as you go back into the unconditional crazy love, you understand a deeper way of how to love your spouse. This unconditional crazy love is this, is you realize you've married somebody that is not perfect, and you realize that they are going to grow older. In a society where they, where when you grow older, uh, you know, they just focus on, you know, the perfection of Hollywood, I want you to know this, when you're unconditionally... In crazy love. It does not matter how many gray hairs you get. It doesn't matter how many pounds you put on. It doesn't matter how many wrinkles you have. As you age, here's the beautiful thing if you love from the inside, if you love in, in a commitment that God has made through marriage, love should get better. Age doesn't guarantee that love's gonna get better, but if you work at your marriage, Time is your friend, and I want you to know this. By the time that you're 80 or 90 years old, if you're lucky and you're, you're still both alive, you should have the most amazing marriage and love you're experiencing than you ever have before. It's why often when you go to the restaurant and you see two older folks they are just looking at each other, they know exactly what they're thinking. They know exactly what they're doing. They don't have to say a word, but they're in love. They are in love. Now, some aren't, and usually they're fighting, But, uh, but like, I don't know about my grandparents. Okay, I'm going to tell you this right now. Typically speaking, though, time is your best friend. Time is your best friend. Wake up, look at your spouse, and say, the best is yet to come. The best is yet to come. Are you aware of where your relationship is at now and where it's going, where your path is leading, where are you at? Are are you stuck on a roadblock? For many will never reach the unconditional crazy love. As many will take shortcuts or they'll beckon the the, the call, they'll, they'll listen to the call of love where they should not be looking for it. Looking back at our passage this morning, temptation will come to you and it'll look like greener grass. But listen, here's the deal. We must stay the course. That God has given you. Let's take a look at this again. End of verse one. And your lips may guard knowledge, for the lips of a forbidden woman drip honey, and her speech is smoother than oil. But in the end, she is bitter as wormwood, sharper as a two-edged sword. Her feet go down to the death, her steps follow the path of Sheol. She does not ponder the path of life. Her ways wander, and she does not know it. King Solomon is saying to his son, Listen, be attentive. Watch what's coming out of your mouth. Are you being flirtatious? Are you telling dirty jokes? Are your words leading you to actions that you're going to do later? What is coming out of your mouth? Jesus says later on, Jesus said that the words that come out of your mouth matter because they're a reflection on what's going inside in your heart. Words matter, our actions matter. But He's saying, guard your mouth. Guard the wisdom that's in you by your mouth. For temptation will come and they'll be smooth, it'll be flattering. It's going to make you feel good in the moment. But it's wormwood. Wormwood is a, is a bitter herb. In fact, oftentimes it's called poison. What we see here is that these words of flattery, these smooth words of the person that you're not supposed to be having these conversations or actions with are actually leading to your relational and maybe even physical death. Where is your path leading? The path of temptation leads to a path that perhaps could be Death. So what path are you on? In singleness, are you preparing for marriage? In marriage, are you preparing to take your marriage to the next level? And how are you preparing for what God has for you? We need to be attentive where we're at. You don't end up in the direction you want to be just haphazardly. In a society where it's free love, listen, I'm going to tell you right now, you are not going to end up where you need to be by just being on autopilot. You need to pay attention. You need to make sure that you set goals and, and follow God and what He has for you in your path. And listen, you may be in love, but I want you to know this. Love is not all about you. But our culture, which is more broken than ever, the love that it peddles is more of that eros, individualistic love. And people are finding themselves as they pursue this individualistic love that they're more alone than ever. They may have more Facebook friends than ever. They may talk to more people than ever. They may socialize more than ever. But we live statistically in a society that feels more alone than they ever have before. And listen, unfaithfulness is going to call you each and every day. Some of you aren't going to have an affair tomorrow, but some of you, your eyes may be looking at a billboard that isn't your wife, and you're checking them out. Or it could be somebody down the street, or it could be a jogger, it could be something, I don't know. It could be a show, it could be Fifty Shades of Gross, I don't know. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> And faithfulness is calling you. It's uncalling you. It's calling you, and you must run from it. We're in a nation obsessed with sex. According to the American Psychological Association, the onslaught of sexual images in media and pop culture has created a mental health crisis that has manifested itself with depression, low self-esteem, and eating disorders. And due to the sexualization of America, according to the study, 91% of women surveyed are not satisfied with their bodies, and men are are catching up quite quickly. This is a new one. They feel like they need to be ripped. They feel like they need to have those bulging biceps, okay? Don't look at me. Okay, so (laughs) our society has been sexualized in the everyday, but I want you to know this. Sex is not bad. It's a gift of God. It's a gift of God to be enjoyed in the confines of marriage. In fact, it is is the ultimate uh, culmination of marital intimacy. God created sex to be an act of worship for one male and one female for the covenant of marriage where they lose themselves and they become one. But as any gift from the Lord, it can be misused and it can be abused. So what path are you on? Here's what I want us to ponder is that on your path, we are losing, as a society, we're losing the meaning in intimacy. We're losing the meaning in intimacy. What is intimacy? For many, the gift of sex has been reduced to animalistic behavior. It's been reduced just to physical action, much like when someone's hungry. You know, if you're hungry, you're going to go get a donut out there. If you're thirsty, you're going to get some coffee. If you're tired, you're going to get some coffee. Hey, if you want to do something, you go do it. I'm hungry. I'm going to Giordano's tomorrow night. Like, we have reduced sex to some, something so casual to where if we want it, we just go do it, or we go do whatever we want to do. But the Bible says we're very different in creation. We are not animals. Somebody's like, "Well, wait a minute. No, I mean obviously in the genus and species." Okay, listen, listen. God created us above anything else in His created order. We see this in Genesis, in the first book of the Bible, Genesis one twenty-seven. So God created man in His own image, in the image of God He created him. Male and female He created them. No other creature was created to reflect the goodness of God and for that creature to follow God directly and to to obey. Listen, animals are great. I'm not telling you to like, you know, just let your dog off in the street and let it run away because it doesn't matter. That's not what I'm saying. But what I'm saying is you have more value than your household pet, okay? Some of you are like, oh man, I better treat my husband better. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) But the thing is this, we should not reduce these, this gift that God has given us through sex as something that is just animalistic or something that you just experiment and try. In fact, when I was first a pastor, uh, Katy Perry came out with the song, and her lyrics was, I don't even know your name. It doesn't matter. It's just is an experimental game. Sex should, be reduced to, it should, sex should not be reduced to just nature or an experiment. Sex actually rewires your brain. In fact, neurologists in a, big, in a huge neurological study showed that having multiple partners, especially when young, makes it difficult to have lasting and genuine relationships because you 're neurological you have neurologically bonded with them in fact i 'll quote them it says this this is what the study says The individual who comes from partner to partner is causing his or her pain uh, brain excuse me to mold in such a way that eventually accepts a sexual pattern as normal the pattern of changing partners therefore damages their ability to bond in a committed relationship they go on to say you can no more try out sex than you can try out birth the very act of sex produces a new reality that cannot be undone that is powerful that is powerful because first off this, this is from this is secular findings here but it's powerful as you see that it's not just something that's casual it's something that has deep meaning and society has reduced this to casual and it has caused repercussion for many. The key here is to stop looking at greener grass. We will not find what we're looking for in areas that God is not calling us to. He's calling you to relational purity. He's calling you to a future that has hope. A future that, 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 that will not break you. A future that, that he wants to bring you into relationship and relationship health. When we make sex casual, it causes us to look at people, specifically the opposite sex, as objects instead of people. When you look at porn, for instance, you are just using that person without care of who they are as a person. A project called By Freedom Youth Project states that porn is the leading cause of human trafficking in the United States. You know, human trafficking happens right here in Kenosha on the I 94 corridor. And one of the leading causes of human trafficking they're finding is people's porn habits. Many young women are rushed into the porn industry at age 18, and Dr. Mary Layden, a sex abuse expert and psychotherapist at the University of Pennsylvania, stated that porn turns our kids into victims and even predators. He stated, or she stated rather, in in her 20 years of practice, she did not have one case of sexual violence that did not involve pornography. Listen, pornography kills. Pornography is not innocent And pornography is killing many relationships perhaps in this room. And listen, the best thing you can do, it's awkward, but the best thing you can do this morning is own up to it and flee from it and get help get some accountability. Listen, pornography is taking that person you're looking at and you're objectifying them, and now you're rewiring your brain just in the same way as multiple sex partners can uh, rewire your brain. You're rewiring your brain to get satisfaction by paper instead of a person or a screen, So unfaithfulness is calling out to us this morning. And when unfaithfulness calls out to us this morning, do not answer. Run, run, run to a trusted friend. Get help, run to God, pray to him. Listen, get, don't hold this in. Don't hold this in. Unfaithfulness is calling this morning. Verse 7. Now then, my sons, listen to me and do not turn aside from what I say. Keep to a path far from her. Do not go near the door of her house, lest you lose your honor to others and your dignity to one who is cruel, lest strangers feast on your wealth and your toil enrich the house of another. At the end of your life, you will groan. And when your flesh and body are spent, you will say, How I hated discipline, how my heart spurned correction. I would not obey my teachers or turn my ear to my instructors, and I was soon in serious trouble in the assembly of God's people. If you do not keep away from adulterous thoughts or, or lifestyles, it will cause loss, loss of strength, loss of relationship. Could, I mean, there are many diseases involved. It could be a loss of life. Uh, it could be a loss of your relationship, which means loss of money through divorce. Divorce is very expensive. Uh, it could be addiction to porn. People spend a lot of money in the pornography industry. It's a billion-dollar industry. In fact, the sex trade industry, the illegal sex trade industry is a billion-dollar industry. So let's hit the pause button right here. We've, we've been firehosed with a lot of information. I want to just check up, make sure we're doing okay. Because I want you to know this. It's okay not to be okay. All right? Some of you have things in your past, and it, you've never talked about them, and God wants them today. He wants to forgive you of those things today. Some of you, you are like way over your head, and you're underwater. You can't, you're not even treading anymore. You're not even doing the survival float. You're underwater. And you're just like, I just need help. I need, I need some forgiveness. I need to talk to somebody today. That's maybe where you're at. Some of you, you've dealt with things in your past You've been forgiven by God. And listen, here's the beautiful thing. Here's the beautiful thing. None of us will stand before God and say, I'm pure. Look what I did. I went to church. I I took my notes. Those are all good things, right? But they don't save you. They don't make you pure. The only thing that makes you pure is Jesus Christ. He came to this earth 2,000 years ago to do what we could not do. You see, here's the thing. He created us to have a relationship with him. We sinned. We did wrong, right? We did wrong, But the Bible says while we were yet sinning, while we were still sinning, Christ died for us. He died for us. So that what no religion or no religious good works could do. Nothing can take away our sin, but Jesus Christ. And so he says, say no to the dry, dead religion that you can never prove yourself to God and say yes to Jesus Christ. He wants you to enter in a relationship with him. We are not speaking this morning dry, dead religion. We are speaking this morning a real, live relationship that you can have with Jesus Christ. Right now, That will wash all your sins clear. It takes away the burdens that you may be lugging in here. And here's the beautiful thing. When he takes it away, you move from somebody who was opposed to God and he forgives you, but he just doesn't forgive you like, okay, never do that again, don't wanna speak to you again. No, you go from being opposed to him to forgiven, but now favored. You are a favored son and daughter of God. Well, you don't know the things I did. He does know the things that you did. If you were to put up your life on this screen, we'd all be embarrassed. I'd be embarrassed if you saw the things in my life. But the thing is, Jesus knows these things. He died for you anyway. And the way to receive that forgiveness is to say yes to Jesus. Yes, I believe what you did on the cross. Yes, I believe that you rose from the dead. Yes, I believe you're real, and I want to follow you. That's how you receive it. Not some dry religion. It's relationship. And he says your sins are cast to the bottom of the sea. And what some of us have done is we've become good spiritual scuba divers. We put on the gear, we go down to the bottom of the ocean floor, and we lug it back up and say, this is what I'm ashamed of. This is why I can never have victory. And Jesus is saying, drop it and put it back on the ocean floor. I'm forgetting about it. I know it no more. But you're remembering it, because here's the thing. When you're doing something wrong, God will often prick your conscience. He'll often do that so that you come to Him and run to Him, right? It's called repentance, right? But what happens is when we say we're sorry to God, right? When When we ask for His forgiveness... He forgets it, right? But the enemy of our soul, Satan, he wants us to get down to the ocean floor and bring it right back up. He's called the accuser, the tempter and accuser. He puts on the hat of temptation, and when he did it, he puts on the accusing and said, how dare you? Can you even go to church next week? My answer is, yes, you can. Religion says you can't because you failed. Relationship says, get in here. Let's, Let's go before Jesus. Romans 8, 1 says, therefore, there's no condemnation in those who are in Christ Jesus. Let me read that again. Therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. How, how much condemnation? Some? What? There is therefore no. Let's say that together loud. There is therefore no. There is therefore no, none, a zip. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. If you've placed your faith in Jesus Christ, there is no longer condemnation. Let that sink in. So Where is your path leading this morning? We're surrounded by the loss of the meaning of intimacy. But here's something positive. Finding healthy intimacy is only through God's plan. Proverbs 5.15, drink water from your own cistern, running water from your own well. Should springs overflow in the streets, your streams of water in public squares, let them be yours alone, never to be shared with strangers. May your fountain be blessed, and may you rejoice in the wife or husband of your youth. Wells, springs, streams, these are fountains that direct the water to a direction. And what he's saying is your passions, your passions need to be directed in the appropriate direction. And the bottom line in here is what is the appropriate direction? The wife or your husband of your youth, the one you said, I do better or rich, richer or poorer, uh, health or sickness. Now, I understand that some of you are here today and the marriage ended. And I want you to know there's hope for you in Jesus Christ. Uh, you, you are not missing anything because you are full in Jesus Christ, okay? I want you to understand this. You may be married again. Some of you are like, fine, i ain't being married again. And guess what? God says, I'm giving you a gift. I'm giving you a gift. It's, it's, it, you're gonna be single and, you're gonna be, and it's gonna be you and me. Some of you are like, yeah, that sounds good. Some of you are like, that sounds awful, okay? So you pro- that probably won't be your reality, okay? But the reality is this. As we move through and we navigate the, the tough shades of gray sorry of 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 intimacy here's the thing is oftentimes we leave this discussion thinking that we're losers and there's no hope and you don't oh man all this stuff and what i'm saying is god wants you to throw it at the bottom of the ocean today whatever situation you're in single single again or married he wants you to follow him and he wants you to follow him and know that he's leading you he's leading you the right way you got to trust him As we read verse 15, 16, 17, 18, I'm not going to unpack it anymore because I promised you it'd be PG-10. This would lead to our rating if I unpacked it. So you can go buy some commentaries and uh, more people now are going to study their Bible more than ever. That's great. Uh, But verse 18, we rejoice in our wife or our spouse of our youth, which means our spouse will grow old, they will gray, they will look different, but it's way different and way deeper than the cheap, peddled love of our society that says it's all about outward appearance. As you move into that crazy, uh, that crazy love that is unconditional, the unconditional crazy love, you realize that love isn't about what you see on the outside. It comes within. Really, that's really true. The love of God flows from our heart. and makes us who we are. So let's land on Practicalville. As we get ready to land the plane this morning, let's land on Practicalville. First off, I want you to know this. As you navigate your relationships, you need to understand not everybody is you, and not everybody, okay, right? And not everybody's me. This is what this means. God has uniquely wired you to communicate love in different ways. I'm not saying that, oftentimes people say, not everybody's me, and that they're saying that God's commands and God's plan for relationships is up for debate. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is within the confines of, of God's perfect plan, uh, He has created us, and we're all different, okay? That's not rocket science. And we all communicate love differently. In fact, there's a great book, Gary Chapman, Five Love Languages, and I think he has about 50 different versions of this now. Five love languages for marriages, for single people, for uh, kids, teenagers, pets, goldfish, everything. So, but there are five love languages, words of affirmation, gifts, acts of service, quality, time, and physical touch. Words of affirmation, uh, everybody needs good words of affirmation, you know, kind words, I love you, encouragement, but some of us, we thrive on it. My home, words of affirmation, home. We told each other we loved each other probably annually about 5,000 times. In fact, one time I was on the phone and a friend was right next to me and I was talking. I'm like, Yeah, I love you. Yeah, all right, all right, I love you. Yep, yeah, I love you. And he's like, He's not talking to his wife. And so I get off the phone and goes So, are you talking to Allison? i like, No. He's getting ready. He's getting ready to pound me. I said, hey, here's, here's the deal. It's my brother." He's like, "What?" It's like, yeah, I know, like about three minutes before the phone conversation's getting ready to land, the yeah, I love you start flowing. Okay, so yeah, that just happens to all my family members. Okay, it's just it's just kind of weird. And it kind of threw Allison off a little bit. I love you is a holiday in their home. Not not that not that they didn't love each other, it's just they expressed it in different love languages. And so when I said I love you, I dropped these I love you bombs, her parents like they were whispering. You know, like when people are whispering, you know, they're saying something. Like, and I found out later on, they're like, We just can't believe how many times you say you love Allison. I'm like, Well, I do love her. It's like, yeah, well, you know, you're gonna have to figure out other ways that you love her too. Like you probably have to end up vacuuming, things like that. Anyway, gifts. Some of you, your birthday is your favorite day. And listen, if you're, uh, I'm going to lower the age. I, I said 25 in first service, but I'm going to just say here, if you're above the age of like 23, okay, and your birthday still your favorite day, there's nothing wrong with you. I don't get it. But listen, you definitely have the gift, or you definitely have the love language of gifts. You love receiving them. You probably love giving them. They're, if they're not thoughtful, you know it, Okay. The love language of acts of service. So for some of you, listen, for some of you, it's just like doing things around the house. My wife, this is her love language. She has a checklist. If I don't do it right, it ain't the love language, all right? If I want to get in the love language, okay, honey, what do you want done, and how do you want it done? And I'm going to tell you this right now. For many of you husbands, Or wives, but husbands, if your wife has a service love language, I want you to know this right now. Revival is going to come to your marriage today. I'm going to tell you why. You're going to vacuum the floor for the first time in a long time. Yes, that's right. You're going to vacuum. You're going to do the dishes, and you're going to do the laundry. And listen, you're going to hate every second of it, but I'm going to tell you this right now. Revival is coming to your marriage, all right? Now I'm going to see weird quotes on Facebook, and people are going to be like, what? But seriously, acts of service. Quality times. For some of you, it just means... Spending time doing activities together, that's a normal thing, but if you have quality time or quantity of time, and uh, let's say one of your spouse, it's their love language, you need to start learning what they like doing, because uh, more, I mean, you need to do that anyway, but you need to especially do that with someone that values time, and so my wife loves doing puzzles, and if that was my my wife's uh, love language, which it it is and it isn't, you can go in and out of them, uh, I'd be doing a lot more puzzles, but thankfully, I don't have to do puzzles, okay, so great, and she's like, oh, yes, you are, (laughs) And last one is physical touch. Maybe your spouse is a touchy-feely person. Maybe you're just a touchy-feely person anyway. Singles, okay. Some of you singles, or some of you singles, ain't You like the hug bombing, okay? Like when when I hug, it's it's it happens sometimes, right? But like, but some of you are huggers. Application. Here's what I want you to do on our way out of here today, okay? So under, understanding not everybody's you and not everybody's uh, me, and okay, we got that out of the way. Five love languages. Check out that book, Gary Chapman. All right. But here's what I want you to specifically do, single married, or somewhere in between, all right? Number one is I want you to own up. I want you to own up. What road are you on? What path are you on? Be real with that. Who do you need to talk to about that? Number two is what do you need to stop doing now, okay? As you answer question one, Question two is going to become very clear. What do you need to stop doing now to be on a road to relational and marital success? Number three is never stop learning how to be a better spouse or future spouse. I'm going to give you some books to read, okay? Number one is The Five Love Languages by Gary Chapman. The Five Love Languages by Gary Chapman. Second one is the required reading I do with uh, premarital counseling. That's Saving Your Marriage Before It Starts by Les and Leslie Parrott. The third book is actually one of my favorite books, besides the Bible, uh, is The Marriage Builder by Dr. Larry Crabb. And finally, I'm not gonna give you a book. If you, have, in the, as you've navigated these last four weeks, if you're like, Are my marriage, or I, I don't know if I can have a good future marriage because I'm just so deep in some things, let us help you with some counseling, get you connected to some counseling. And finally, I wanna talk to married folks here. You need to learn something from the dating folks. You need to go back on dates. You need to start dating your spouse again. Now, I know that some of us are saying, well, my calendar is just so filled. But listen, is what's filling your calendar more important than that? moment, that one moment. I I guarantee, I I would recommend a a once-a-week date. You don't even have to pay for it, you know, or or pay pay for it. Sorry, no, no, that's not what I meant. You don't have to spend money is what I'm getting at. I would recommend going out to eat or doing something, but if it means just, you know, uh, having a half an hour uh, lunch break or half an hour at night or something like that or watching your favorite Netflix show while you're talking or whatever, just spend some time that nothing is going to get between you and your spouse during that time, all right? And spouses, Enjoy the spouse of your youth. Learn to enjoy that time. You can deduce how you can do that, okay? So this is a command, by the way. Enjoy the wife or husband of your youth. That is a command. It's not, an, it's not optional. The way that's written, that's a command. So Father, we love you. And we thank you for uh, everybody in this room, single, married, somewhere in between. God, we thank you that we can uh, just even hear the principles of marriage uh, because we're going to be teaching somebody. Someone's going to get advice from us. Uh, Whether we're married or single, whether it be a friend or whatever, God, just help us lead us in every aspect of our relationship. God, I pray for those who are grieving. They're grieving maybe decisions they made, or maybe uh, they're the victim of maybe a former spouse's decisions. God, I pray that your hope would rest upon their hearts this morning, God. Lord, I pray that we would leave this place hopeful, knowing that you never, when we're in Christ, when we place our faith and trust in you, you never leave us or forsake us. Nothing can separate us from your love. And we say thank you to that, God. We say thank you to that. So, Father, we pray that you would sweep over this place with your grace and your love and all who are under conviction that, God, that you would, they would turn to you and they meet you and they meet your forgiveness. God, I just pray the hearts would say, I want to live more purely before you, God. God, I pray for those who are in the midst of some just darkness. Maybe nobody even knows about it. Maybe they're navigating together as a couple. Maybe there's a single person thinking, I just, I'm just in something dark over my head. Maybe pornography uh, is what they're giving their relationships to. God, I pray that you would free people of secret sin. Well, when we impact God's word, we don't want to just be somebody who knows the word. We want to know the person of Jesus Christ. And you can't know Jesus just by knowing things about him, you need to know him personally. Do you have a relationship? with Almighty God. Do you have a relationship with Jesus Christ? You see, he created you to have a relationship with him. Did you know that? He, you were wonderfully and fearfully made in your mother's womb. You were created to know God. The problem is we've sinned. We've done something wrong in our past, in our present, and undoubtedly in our future. And that sin separates us from Almighty God. You see, God requires perfection in heaven. And not one of us, including you, including myself, we're not perfect. And so sin separates us from Almighty God. And what people try to do is they try to get to God by religion. They try to get to God by doing good works or to prove themselves. But none of these things will get us to God. In fact, our righteousness is but filthy rags is what Scripture says. And so it requires a miraculous uh, a, a miraculous happening. And that miraculous happening is this it's not ourselves, it's what Jesus Christ did for us on the cross. You see, God came 2,000 years ago as the God man, Jesus Christ, to stand in our place to take the punishment of our sin, to take on God's wrath. Jesus died on the cross to save you from your sins. He stood in your place, and God saw your sin upon Christ. And Jesus died on the cross. The wrath of God came upon Christ and on the cross, he said, it is finished. Jesus Christ died for you, but because he's a perfect sinless sacrifice, he didn't stay dead. Three days later, he rose from the dead and his resurrection demands now our response. And the question is this, have you placed your full faith in Jesus Christ, upon Jesus Christ, what he did for you? The Bible says this, that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that Christ was risen from the dead, you will be saved. All those who cry out in the name of the Lord will be saved. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish, that means die spiritually, but have everlasting life. Have you personally placed your faith and trust in Jesus? If you're not sure or you know you haven't, right now is the time. You might think like, well, let me get things figured out first. Note, listen, today Today's the day of your salvation, Scripture says. That means that you come as you are, but Christ doesn't leave you as you are. He takes you where he is going. So why don't you just pray with me right now? Why, why don't you consider Jesus? Why don't you place your faith and trust in Jesus right now? Uh, this prayer that I'm about to pray isn't going to save you. It's Christ who's already saved you. I'm just helping you communicate to God. So if you want to place your faith and trust with Jesus right now, we just pray along with me? to say, Lord Jesus, I realize I've sinned and I realize I need a Savior. So Lord Jesus, will, uh, will you save me? I place my full faith and trust upon you. Thank you for dying on the cross, saving me from my sins. Thank you for raising from the dead. Help me follow you now. I trust you, Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen. If you have placed your faith and trust in Jesus right now, the Bible says you have become a son or daughter of the King. You have been forgiven of your sins. And know this, that once you are held in the grip of God, nothing can pluck you from His hand. Also know this, when you place your faith and trust in Jesus, there's a party in heaven happening right now. Uh, When just one person gives their life to Jesus, the angels rejoice in heaven.